I, I love during our prayer time this morning, we, we talked about just, just the faithfulness of God and how he just wants to remind us of that faithfulness this morning. Uh, he's, he's made some promises to us as a, as a body. I know he's made promises to us individually. So, so this morning, yeah, just, just be ready because God wants to remind you of his faithfulness. Um, and I love how, how this morning we also highlighted, or rather the Holy Spirit highlighted, that um, he doesn't always, you know, shout. He doesn't always come in like that, that mighty roaring wind. Sometimes it's a whisper. So, so really, really be sensitive this morning to what the Holy Spirit's doing. He may, he may want to meet you in a very intimate place this morning. So, uh, God, Holy Spirit, we, we say yes this morning. We say yes to whatever you have this morning. We want to be open vessels ready to be used by you this morning. So as we come and we worship, yeah, God, come and just speak to us. I pray that this morning we, we can be sensitive to, to that, that whisper that you may be be talking to us in this morning, God. We love you and we thank you. Amen.
Bye. 
Jesus, come alive in the name of Jesus. 
just a, a sense right now, um, a sense of people maybe be sensing just a, a lack of abundance and just a, a weariness and uh, wanted to share a couple, couple scriptures with you all this morning. First one's uh, John 10, 10. 
this is Jesus saying that I've come that may have, they may have life and they may have it full. Second one is Isaiah 40. Karen, can I, sorry, Karen, can I see your phone? This is Isaiah 40, uh, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So if that's you this morning, if you're, if you're feeling like, God, I'm, I feel like I'm lacking something. I, I, I need, need God. I need more. Uh, or if you're just tired, whether it's, it's just through circumstances or if it's just a, a physical tiredness, God, God wants to meet you there this morning. God wants to be your source of strength. And he wants to remind you that in him you have life and you have life abundantly. He's there to provide for all of our needs. That's not just physical. So if that's, if that's you this morning, as we go back into this song, just, just trust and rest assured and let, let the Holy Spirit minister you to where you're at. Because he wants to remind you of, of where your source truly is this morning. Say, come alive in the name of. 
Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you that because of your sacrifice, our, our standing with our Heavenly Father is secured. We thank you that we don't have to worry about, about our position with him. Holy Spirit, thank you for being the comforter for us, the, the one who always is there, who always provides for us in our time of need. God, thank you for being a good father who only knows how to give good things. And if things, if things are, aren't right, it's because you're not done working in those situations, God. worship you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Mm. All right now, we're, we're going to continue our worship time through, through commun communion. Got a little tongue-tied there. Um, this morning, uh, we're, we're blessed to have Alan and Diane. They're going to lead us in, in our time of communion. That means y'all can have a seat if you want. Don't you love these shirts? I bet you're curious and you're going to find out really soon what it's all about. But I think we're styling over here. Oh, there's no applause or anything. But I think he looks pretty wonderful. Let me pass this over to Alan. Yeah. Short sleeve, long sleeve, short sleeve underneath. Yeah, that's how it works, right? <laughs> so this morning, um, I just wanted to share a little bit about communion and how it affects how it affects me, and hopefully how communion uh, can affect and make sense to you. It's important to know that the time of the what we call the Last Supper was actually a time of the Passover, which was a festival in the uh, in the Jewish faith. And of course, if if you remember that the Passover is that the blood was placed on the the door frames so that death would pass over those particular houses that were marked. And, of course, death then took out many, anybody who didn't have the blood on their door frames. So it, it's interesting that Jesus is at a festival, basically with his apostles, or I'm going to call it family, and they're having supper. And there, at the end of it, he, he talks about how this is going to be a new a new covenant basically cut in his blood that he makes it between he being God and himself for our forgiveness of sins. So for me, I've always thought that communion was a special event because I experienced that real sacrifice that brought me salvation. Uh, and it started... It started long before the beginning of time when God and, uh, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit all came together and said, yes, Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll take on that burden. And so he presents that as the foreshadowing of what's to come and the benefit that we get here in this life as we move forward. So this morning... As we share time, this is, this is for families. 
and we love that families can be here. Your children can attend as the parents decide if that's proper for them at this point in time. But if you would come up now and take uh, uh, one of the, uh, the bread and then the juice, come in and then file and go back to your seats, and then we'll, then we'll go ahead and, and do our communion. So y'all could come up now. So this morning, uh, as you know, there are several passages that have to do with the Last Supper in the Bible. But today, I, I thought to Luke, the verse, verses in Luke would be most appropriate. So I'm going to let Diane read that. coordination when you can't see very well is a wonderful thing. As we were preparing, and I, I heard some of the things that were spoken in the prayer time before, boy, and if, you're, if you want to come join us, it's powerful. But also during this service, it was about the Passover. The Lord prepared the lamb in the beginning. In eternity, it was prepared and the Jewish people had to believe that the blood of the lamb was enough. They staked their life on it. And they stood under that protection. And here we are at the Passover, where he said in Luke 22, the teacher asked him, which was Jesus, where is the guest room? Because he told him, I want you to go to this house. Sorry, this house, I have prepared a place for you, even the details. I have provided everything that you need. I want to have the Passover with my disciples. And he said, I will show you, in verse 12, I will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. And there's something about that, all furnished. Everything you need is provided. It's all furnished. Make the preparations there. So we're involved, but he did the preparation. They left and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, which we've done. For I will tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we have the cup, or we have, let's take the, the wafers that we have. And let's remember, this is his body. This is a reminder of it to us, okay, that he shed his blood for us. He provided for us. So we have family around us, but we have our one intimate time with God, too. You provided, and we thank you, Lord. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So let's take the cups. They're a symbol to remind us 
that his blood was shed from eternity. There is not a lamb that has to be suffering anymore. It's done. It is finished. We thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. We take a moment. We quiet our spirits to hear your whispers, your whispers and your roars, and we thank you that you prepared a way from eternity. You knew what you were getting into, and you eagerly wanted the Passover. It was a price that was precious, and you paid it for each one of us, And we praise you, and we thank you, and we say yes. Your sacrifice for us was precious, and we adore you. Seal this in our hearts. Remind us every day and every way that you have prepared. You have prepared the way for us, and we will thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We also have another treat for you, so as your spirit is quieting down, I don't know about you, but I got a little shimmies here. God is good. If you'll direct your focus up to the screen, it's going to explain a little something, something here, if you'll join me. Amen, you guys. Um, I love that video, and those, how how many of y'all would say those are some adorable little faces? Amen, amen. I'm going to ask our leaders and um, our team to come up front this morning, and um, as they are doing that, um, one of the things that I love about DCF and about our value for children is that there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit, and um, one of the things that we encourage is like, how do they hear the voice of God? How do they know who Jesus is, that Jesus is the hero in every story, and um, his Holy Spirit empowers to live this life here. I had um, this week the privilege of just sharing a little bit about our class, uh, our lesson from last week of saying that we're learning how to be really good listeners, and as an adult and as a parent, you are learning how to be a really good listener because God is always communicating to his body. And um, so this morning, we're going to honor these people, these leaders, these assistants, these teachers. They love on the kids. And um, one of the things that we believe in here is that we serve in our calling and in our purpose. We serve in our giftings because that energizes us and grace flows to those around us. But we also know as a body, we serve where there's a need. And so um, I just want to honor these guys this morning, and we're going to pray over them. Will you extend your hands toward them this morning? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we just come in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for every person, Lord, that is standing here. Lord God, I thank you that you said you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of the generations, Lord. God, we bless these teachers, Lord, to hear and to see and to know what you're doing in the lives of young people. Lord, for them to overflow, Lord, with just love and compassion, Lord, in your goodness, in your kindness, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, we thank you for them, and we bless them, and we bless every good thing that's coming to the next generation, Lord. We celebrate them, we honor them, we receive them. Lord, they are gifts, Lord, to this world. Lord, we worship you and we honor you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We love you very much. Let's give them a hand, y'all. All right. Again, thank you for, uh, if you're new here, thank you for joining us this morning. We would love to hear from you, uh, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, You can go to our website at dothancf.com. Go to Connect with us, and you can fill out uh, that connection card. That's not so we can barrage you with emails or anything like that. It's just so we can, you know, get to know you. If you have questions, feel free to ask. We'd love to answer them. Um, So, yeah, Callie's going to share a a few upcoming events with us that are coming up real soon. Uh, So, ladies, our Thrive Conference is this Friday. It's a one-day, one-evening event at 7 o'clock. It's going to be here at DCF um, in the cafe. Yeah, in the cafe. Um, so registration needs to be completed online on our website by Wednesday. Um, it's $10 at the door. You can pay that at the door. Um, so, yeah, come be a part of that uh, fellowship with other ladies, and we will, um, I know we'll have a great time. So um, we also have, we started membership classes. I think today was our About Us class. Um, before service uh, at 8.30. Next Sunday is going to be Membership 101. You can learn a little bit about um, what it means to become a member of our church here. So Membership 101 is next Sunday at 8.30, and then the following Sunday is going to be Membership 102. So um, if you don't know a little bit about us, you can come um, and have some questions answered there about um, us, who we are, and um, what it means to be a member of our church. So... Um, fall community groups have already started. I think, uh, there's a lot of people already in our community groups. Um, it is gifts of the spirit. It's really exciting. We're learning a lot of new stuff. I'm learning a lot of new stuff, um, about the gifts of the spirit. So it's, it's just been a really exciting time for me. Um, if you've not signed up for one of those yet, it's not too late. You can still be a part of that. So, um, go to our website and you can sign up for one of the groups. So there's actually a group meeting right after church. So if you want, you can grab some lunch, come back. Are y'all meeting in the kitchen? At one o'clock, at one o'clock. So just, if you want to jump right in, we're ready to have you. Mm -hmm. Um, So ways to give here at DCF, we have the little box here if you want to write a check, or you can go to our um, website online. There's a way to give there. So um, we're going to dismiss our kids um, to kids church and to the nursery. So Now's the time to do that, and then when we, we'll take a little break. When we come back, Dave is going to be starting a new series today. So, How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're ready for the Word of God. Yeah, good, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I don't have, I actually have a Bible up here. I'm leaning my iPad against it. Some of you guys like, that's a apostasy. It really isn't. I have like 12 different Bibles in my iPad, so I promise you I'm going after the Word of God and not just preaching something off the internet. <laughs> So uh, we're starting a series this morning. Uh, we, we've been, uh, our gift class, we talked about our community groups earlier, and uh, we're talking about the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. So we talk about gifts, three different kinds of gifts. We taught this for a while. Uh, grace gifts, those are gifts like hospitality, teaching, leadership, um, 
administration. There's just so many of those and found mostly in Romans. Um, we also talk about the fivefold ministry gifts, and some uh, churches embrace all five. Some churches embrace just a few, um, and how God works through that. We've talked about that a little bit. But we also talk about the manifestation gifts. And part of why we're doing the manifestation gifts um, is because we really want to make sure, not just that we learn about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, uh, but also to activate us individually as believers because the manifestation gifts are from, for everybody. The Bible says he, he, he uh, uses all of us, different gifts, same spirit, but he wants to work through all of us through the manifestation gifts. So one of the things we talk about in our um, we just started our, our membership class uh, about us this morning. And uh, we talk about who we are as a church. And one of the things we do is talk about our vision statement, which is transforming lives by encountering grace and the Holy Spirit. And so what's, what's interesting about that is we, we really went, went after that in a big way. It's like, Lord, who is it, who is it you've called us to be as a local church? Because the truth is every local church glorifies God and makes disciples. We do too. Every church, if it's a healthy New Testament biblical church, that's what, that's what we all do. We glorify God and we make disciples. The question is what makes us unique is how do we do that as a unique local church in our city or in our region? And so what, what God has spoke to us about was to see lives transformed in a very specific way um, by, by encountering, and there's a, that word just means to encounter something or meet someone. That's what that means, and it, and it covers both of those. To encounter grace as a doctrine, as a truth, as a belief, because grace so often, you know, we, uh, uh, that's equal to the gospel, right? We talk about the gospel. And so often we talk about getting saved by the gospel, but, but we don't talk about how we live by the gospel. We get saved by grace, and, and the Bible speaks to that, but we don't talk very often in church about how we live by grace. And so that's part of who we are as a church is, to remind people that when we encounter grace, it changes everything about who we are, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see the world. It just changes everything, and it's really, really powerful. And we talk about that. We also talk about encountering the Holy Spirit, and part of that is encountering the Holy Spirit is encountering a person. So I don't know about you, but I grew up, and you know, you'd hear things, uh, this is back before the internet, but even then you see cartoons sometimes, you'd, you'd hear people tell stories, things would happen. And, and the Holy Spirit was... Um, in, in the culture that I, because I, I wasn't a believer as a young person, the culture was just kind of like, you know about that kind of context, but in your mind, you really don't know anything about who the Holy Spirit is, how he works. So you just think of him like for us, my generation, uh, we thought of him like the force in, in Star Wars, <laughs> right? So he, he's a, he's, he, he works and he does things and we get that, but we kind of think is, you know, the father and the son are, are you know, they're, they're, they're persons, right? So we, the father equates to our father, so we get that. The son, that's, you know, we understand what a son is, but the spirit, we just kind of, you know, he's like our Uncle Larry that we hide in the basement. We don't want him coming out too often, right? Because we're not, we're not sure what Uncle Larry's going to do. <laughs> and I apologize if your name is Larry, <laughs> but, but I had a crazy Uncle Larry. So, um, so we, we talk about the Holy Spirit so often, and we, we misunderstand who he is. And, and part of what we've been called to do as a local church is to really help people encounter who the Holy Spirit is, how he works in us, through us, how he works in the world, how he wants to use us to, to transform people's lives, how he can minister to us, which, which means just to serve us, how, um, you know, the fact that he, he is way more than maybe what we were taught. And so part of what we go after here is we want to go after helping you encounter a living Holy Spirit who is a person. So the, the name of this message, we're going to do a series, but the name of this, this particular message is He Is. 
And so part of that is he is God. When Moses went to, um, when, when Moses went to, to God and God said, hey, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses says, who do I say sent me? Right, because if you think about Moses, Moses, it's a pantheon of gods. The Egyptians had tons of gods. He says, you know, you're my God, and, and obviously you're, you're the real deal. I'm not sure about the Egyptian gods, but who do I say sent me? And most of you guys know this. He said, tell, tell Pharaoh, I am that I am has sent you. And that's a really interesting concept because he, he's really saying, I am the self-existing one. Before time, after time, I don't actually even exist in time. So, so I am the self-existing one. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we forget that he is a person, but he, he's also God. We're going to get to that in just a second. So what does it mean to be a person? So let me just give you kind of um, a couple of ways that a person works, okay? Um, six ways exactly. He has the characteristics of a person. This is how you know the Holy Spirit's a person. He acts like a person. He's treated as a person in Scripture. He has the ministry of a person, so he serves like a person. He's mentioned in connection with other persons. So he's not like a force and then a person. It's, it's always, he's, he's always a person. And then lastly, he's the third person in the Trinity, and therefore he's personal. And so part of what we do is when we, when we, mit, when we miss up or, or uh, miss what God's trying to say about who the Holy Spirit is, we've, we get expectations about who he is and how he works, but they not, may not be biblical. So I just want to cover a couple of things in Scripture and go through these fairly quickly um, to talk about how he is a person and how we can know that scripturally. So Romans 8, 27 says he has a mind. Uh, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit has a mind because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit has emotions. And there's a bunch of scriptures for all these. I'm just gonna give you a few. Romans 15, 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, not just the love of the Son or the love of the Father, but the Holy Spirit loves us. In the same way that God the Father loves us and Jesus loves us. This one's interesting. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Isaiah 63, 10 talks about this. Um, yet, though, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. So the Holy Spirit was grieved. And what's interesting about this passage is this is sometimes how we get it mixed up. Because it says they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Right? In other words, God's Spirit. So sometimes you hear, you see passages talking about the Spirit of Jesus, right? You see that a lot in the New Testament. And so it's easy to get deceived into thinking, you know, the Spirit of God is just the disembodied Spirit of Jesus. So Jesus was here, and then he went back to heaven, and so Jesus is out of the picture now. So now Jesus has come back as the Holy Spirit, right? And I'll bet some of you guys think that without even realizing that you thought that. And so why, that's, why it's important to, to, to get it right is because um, the Holy Spirit works in a certain way in this world, in this season. Uh, we call it, it's kind of like dispensations or times. So the, God the Father, you see in all of the Old Testament, you see him uh, from day one, um, you see him all the way through the book of Revelation. Jesus, you see, primarily he comes as a man, you know, he, he, he manifests himself. The Bible talks about in Hebrews. Um, this is the Son of God. Hear him. You've heard everybody else um, listen to him. You see the Trinity in, in the picture of when Jesus is baptized. The Bible says the Father speaks from heaven, right? And he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So, so the Father is pleased with the Son. He sent them. So they're, they're separate, but they're still the same. And I know the Trinity's hard, but I have a problem with water being, you know, uh, steam, ice, and, and a liquid. Um, but 
you know, when they taught me that in, in class in high school, I was like, uh, these guys probably know what they're talking about. And I've seen it, so there we go. So, but I don't think about it too much because, it, it, you know, unless you're a physicist, it'll mess your head up. So the, the, the interesting thing about that is the Bible says at the same time, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and, 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 and comes to him like a dove. So it's a picture of something, a symbol of something. And you see this often pictured in Christianity. The Holy Spirit is a dove. The Holy Spirit is as fire. The Holy Spirit is water. You see all this Holy Spirit is oil. There are all these symbolism, right? And if we're not careful, we make the Holy Spirit the symbol rather than recognize the symbol as speaking about the Holy Spirit. Right, so Jesus comes, or the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and he alights on Jesus, but he doesn't go away. Now, it's really interesting, because part of what the Lord is, is, is doing in that picture, he's painting a picture of, of a new dispensation. So, so this is the moment where, in many ways, they were all kind of together, moving in a way that you didn't see in the Old Testament, or you didn't see later in the New Testament, because you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit right there in that moment together, and, and the truth is, they're all God, and I know this can be challenging, but when you get it, you relate to, when you hear about your heavenly father, you know what a father ought to be. But the father is symbolism for who God is, not the other way around, right? Does that make sense? And so when Jesus comes and he's the, he's the obedient son, that's also a picture that talks about you and I being sons and daughters. But it's also interesting that it's, it's, it's delineated as a male. Jesus is the son. He's not the son and the daughter, right? And so you got this whole thing in our culture right now about confusion around um, gender, but really the problem has, has been the same since time began. It's not really a problem with gender. It's a problem with identity. Like we just don't know who we are. And whether you struggle with that issue or you struggle with other issues about you have no self-worth or value, the issue is always about identity. And so part of the reason why God points out that Jesus is the son, because in the son, there was an inheritance, right? So again, all this symbolism is building and you constantly are picking up on this but it's important to understand that the Father operated in a certain way in the Old Testament, right? Which when people say, I don't like the Old Testament God, but I like the New Testament God. Some of you may have heard that. But there's no such thing. It's the same God, right? But he's operating in a different way. So we talk about a lot uh, about how uh, the law had a purpose. And, you know, the, Moses comes down from the mountain. There, there's, there's this tremendous uh, display of God's power. He, you know, we talk about the Ten Commandments, but they're really like 613 different commandments. And they... You, he, the day that he, he tell, uh, tells Israelites about, Israelites about the law, they jump up and say, we'll do everything that the law says, which was a total lie and complete arrogance. And turns out, read the book. They didn't do hardly any of what God had said. <laughs> and that was kind of the point of the law, right? To show you that you, you might be well-intentioned as a person, but if you are disconnected from God, you are not going to, to, to become the person that you're supposed to be. You're not going to live up to the standard of who God called you to be. Jesus comes, and Hebrews speaks of Jesus and says, this is the perfect image of who God was. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, they're like, Lord, show us the Father. And, and remember what Jesus says, have you been with me so long you haven't seen him, Right? Like, and they're like, oh, snap, I shouldn't have said that out loud, right? You ever done that? <laughs> that was a dumb prayer, Lord, my bad. Um, <laughs> but so the Bible speaks to Hebrew, uh, out of Hebrews, it says, this is, this is his son. You've heard about him in the prophets. You've, heard it, you've seen him in the symbolism. You, you've recognized the power and the authority of angels. And it just goes through this whole passage. It says, and God says, I am pointing something out. And uh, I think Alan and uh, Diane mentioned this in, in uh, our uh, communion time, how the lamb was slain before the foundation of time. Right, so, so the picture of this is not something that God came up with on the fly. This was always his plan. 
It's a beautiful story. So we see Jesus come about. And then in this process, Jesus makes this crazy statement where he says, I have to go away so that the comforter can come. Now, when he said that to them, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I'd be like, uh, no, don't do that, Lord. We're, we're good right here. Uh, the rest of the world can deal with it. But right now, we have you. We can talk to you. We can ask you questions. You're, you're present with us. How powerful is that? And Jesus said, it's better, another version says, that I go away. Why? So the comforter come, can come. So you see the, the dispensation of the Father. You see the dispensation of the Son, his ministry of three years. That hasn't gone away, and it, and it didn't come in on the fly. The lamb before the foundation of time, you see Jesus in, at, at the end in the book of Revelation when all, all of his enemies are made a footstool. So the story for all three of the, our understanding of the Trinity is God throughout the entirety of Scripture. But they have different dispensations. And so the last part when Jesus says, I have to go away, why? Because he said, the plan is, is that I'm going to come and I'm going to live inside of you. Before I was active, I was one person at one time in one geographical location but now I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell inside of you, right? I'm going to come live inside of you and I'm going to work in you and I'm going to work through you and I'm going to demonstrate the kingdom through you as believers. That's what I'm going to do. It's powerful, right? So um, the Holy Spirit can be insulted, right? Did you know that you can insult the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. Then, interesting, calls him the Spirit of grace. I think Jesus was all about grace, so is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit guides believers, we know this, Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit, and that's really where this, this series is coming out of. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, right? And so it's not just saying that you're part of a family. You could preach a whole series on, on what it means to be part of the family of God, right? But part of that, again, goes back to Jesus was demonstrating he is, he is going to receive an inheritance. His obedience, Jesus receives the inheritance. You are Jesus' inheritance. That's part of his obedience of going to the cross. And he said, he didn't say, I want to go to the cross. As a matter of fact, three times he said, Lord, if there's any other way, I would really like to talk about that. That's my paraphrase. But he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And so in his obedience as a son, earned him, through his sacrifice, earned him an inheritance. And part of that inheritance is a bride, which is what you and I are, right? So um, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So he's talking about you and I, as we are led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God, and therefore there's an inheritance that comes to us through our belief first in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, the finished work of the cross. And then the act of life that you have. Uh, I think one of the words was about Jesus said, I'm gonna come and bring life to you, and it's gonna be abundant. In other words, it's not gonna be the life that you know here, Maybe you've had a good life and you've got a great view from your house at the water. Wonderful. You're very successful. You've got plenty of money. That's a good life. We would call that a good life. Jesus says that's not enough. When the Holy Spirit comes and begins to move in you and work in you and then work through you, it's going to be life and more than abundant life that flows in you. He said you're going to have peace that passes understanding. It's not even going to make sense because the circumstances are going to tell you not to be peaceful. And the spirit who lives inside of you is also the spirit of peace, right? So amazing. He, he talks about helping, uh, helping believers, John 16. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the helper 
will not be able to come. Listen to what he says, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit is already is at work in, in the book of Genesis long, long before time, right? You see the Holy Spirit, I think Dave mentioned that about, uh, or somebody mentioned that about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, and God having a conversation about the lamb slain before time. Will you go? And Jesus says, yes, I will go. I'll be the sacrifice. That conversation in, if, in context of, of, of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is also able to speak. This is interesting. Uh, Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. This is one of those really, really interesting passages because you see it happen numerous times throughout the book of Acts, which is, we call it the, the Acts of the Apostles. That's the official title of the book of Acts, but it's not. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and the Apostles are B players, <laughs> right? They're, they're supporting actors in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He's just doing it through them. But he's demonstrating this is what the church is supposed to look like. That the Holy Spirit is now living and abiding in Jesus' disciples. And he's being Jesus to the world through them. That's how this is supposed to work, right? But he speaks. That means he has a voice and he, he wants to speak. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So, of course, we understood that when Jesus talked verbally, there was something in physics going on where sound wave, you know, it was moving air and it was affecting our inner ear and that was happening and that's awesome and just go study that, that'll make you believe in God all by itself, right? But to understand that he speaks in a different way by his spirit, then something begins to happen that's not like the audible voice of God, right? In the Old Testament, you see the Father speak from heaven. In the New Testament, the Father speaks from heaven. You see Jesus speaking to Paul after he's, he's raised and in, in, in back in heaven, he comes and he meets Paul on Damascus Road and he speaks out loud to him, right? And so there's the voice of God coming in all these different arenas, but how's the voice of God come now? And the answer is he comes through his spirit, right? So the second thing about the Holy Spirit is he is God. The Spirit of God was present. We talk about this at creation. Genesis 1-2. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I mean, if you go and study this in the original language, the picture is just, it's just amazing. It's this beautiful picture of chaos. And, and the, the, the one hovering over it about to bring order to chaos. And that, if that's not a picture of what God wants to do to our lives now, I don't know what is, right? But he was there from, from the foundation of time. He was there before. We talked about that. He's there in the beginning of creation. We see him all throughout the, the book of Revelation. You hear, you hear scriptures that say, um, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And Jesus said over and over, he that has ears, let him hear. In other words, if you, if you want to hear God, you can but you're going, to have to, you're going to have to do something different than what you've been doing, right? So one of the most convincing truths about him being God, about the Spirit being God, is found in Acts 5. So Peter's talking to Ananias. The story is that uh, Ananias, uh, your people were giving things to the apostles and saying, hey, serve, the, the, you know, serve people with it. And so they're, they're uh, selling some of their property, and they're giving the money to the apostles and laying at their feet so they can dispense it and bless people. And Ananias and his wife comes, and, and they, they sell the property, and they give it to the disciples, but they hold back some, right? So here's, that's the story. So it, uh, Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan so fill, filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? He, he lied to the Holy Spirit. 
Think about that for a second. That's, that's, don't do that. <laughs> and it goes on, it says, And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So is the Holy Spirit a force or is he God? Scripture says he's a person, so stop treating him like the force, right? But he's also not lower than Jesus or higher than the Father. He is God. And if you haven't understood that, there's lots of reasons why, sometimes from ignorance, sometimes people just, like I said, they're, they're so concerned with how the Holy Spirit works. They're like, you know, that's messy, and I don't like messy, so we're not going to do it. And that's been my experience in, over the years. I remember going to a, a church one time, and I read their documentation about, about what they believed. Um, you know, we have that up on our website. You can go look. And when it got down to the, about the things of the Spirit, it said, we believe in prophecy. Only I'd been visiting that church a couple times, and they did not believe in prophecy, right? Or if they did, it was secret prophecy, and I was trying to figure out how that worked. So I went and asked the pastor, and I said, hey, I saw this in here, and, and obviously you guys believe in that, but I've never seen that happen. Am I just missing it? He goes, no, we don't do it. <laughs> and I said, I don't, I don't think you know what belief means, Right? Because believe in, in our world is just mental assent. But believe in Scripture is tied to action. You can't believe something without acting on it in Scripture. It's a different word. Same vocabulary, different dictionary. Keep that in mind. People use that all the time. Same thing with, I just trust the Spirit. Like, what? You don't even, do you even know the Holy Spirit, right? And there's this passage where um, Paul comes to one of the cities, and uh, he, he meets these, these disciples, and he said, um, you know, have you believed? And, and, and they, they said, well, we've just believed in the, in the uh, baptism of John. That's how we got baptized, that the Messiah is coming. So Paul says uh, he teaches them about Jesus, and then they believe in Jesus, and, they, and they're baptized in the name of Jesus, and so they get saved. Like they just, they were waiting for the, for the culmination of the Messiah. So they were just anxious, but haven't received it yet. He preaches the message from the message they hear by faith. It comes to them. They say, yes, I believe that, and they do it. And then he says, have you been filled with the Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, I've met people who've gone to church their whole life and did not even know there was a Holy Spirit. We had a guy in our church. He's, he's not here any, any longer, so I can talk about him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I talk about you guys all. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. So, so this guy, he'd grown up in church, and he asked me, he said, hey, can we have coffee? He was a leader. He was actually preaching and teaching. And, and not in our church, but in other churches. And so he came to me. He said, can we have coffee? We sit down. He said, I have a lot of questions about what you're teaching about the Spirit. And I said, okay, go. And he said, um, I went to church my whole life. And he goes, and we never talked about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, did you guys read the Bible? He goes, yeah. But he said, we would read the Bible. And anything about the Holy Spirit, we just, we just skip over it. I said, please tell me you're kidding. He goes, I promise you, I'm not kidding. He goes, I know nothing about the Holy Spirit. So we had the privilege of teaching him something that, dear God, he should have known from his church, right? But he didn't. So, so my challenge to us is, how much of this do you really understand about the Holy Spirit? Because again, how you perceive him and how you understand he perceives you is going to change how you live your life. And if you get that wrong, if you don't understand who Jesus is and what he came to do, you'll end up trying to work for your salvation when the Bible says it was finished when Jesus died on the cross. It has been made available to you. You believe by faith. You receive what he's given. 
And it's done. We talked about the finished work of God, that the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus. And that under the new covenant, he no longer holds your sins against you. Now, you preach that in some churches and they're going, hey, be careful with that kind of message. What are you talking about? That is literally the gospel. And people are telling me, be careful about preaching the gospel. And my challenge to them is, what are you preaching? Because maybe it's the gospel, but maybe it's not. And so you can totally misunderstand this. So he wants to work in us and through us. But if we don't understand, if we don't give assent, if we don't um, start to begin to study, the Bible talks about study to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Why is a workman ashamed? One, he doesn't know how to use his tools, (laughs) right? So the, the tools of the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit are only available to those who receive his spirit. If you don't believe in the Holy Spirit and his work in you today, you're going to look at the manifestation gifts and go, you know what, I don't think those are for today. And even if you do, you're going you're to like a few of them and you're going to kick a bunch of them out. And you see churches do this all the time. The Bible says he, he, that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. This is a really interesting way of looking at the Holy Spirit. This is John 3, 5. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, now he's talking to Nicodemus, right? This, he says, you're the leader of Israel and you don't know this? That was a really tough challenge. But he said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. What does he mean by born of water? That's just natural birth. Uh, We understand that makes perfect sense. But what does he mean to be born of the spirit, right? And so he goes on, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, there's a natural pattern that happens. Everybody sees it. But he also says, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So can can you be a carnal Christian? Yes, Paul talks about over and over and over about being in the flesh. Sarks is the word, be careful about that one. By by the way, in the NIV, I call the NIV the nearly infallible version. I I like that that translation of the Bible, except for so often it translates the word sarks, which is the flesh, to nature. So it'll teach you, without meaning to, it will teach you that you still have a sinful nature. So you'll start buying into the lie, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And my challenge to you, as you guys know, is are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? Because according to Scripture, you can only be one of those. Right? And again, so this is really important. So again, there are translations in, in their, their meaning. And, and part of that is, I, I don't have time to get into all of this, but part of the translation concept is it's translating from another language into a language that you, that you, you know, a, a, a language that you don't speak into a language that you do. And there is no exact representation in translating a language. Let me give you an example. For our word love, we translate that word love and understand it by its context in the conversation. I love my truck. I love my wife. Let's hope you don't love them the same. If you do, you're probably writing country music songs. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I know that was wrong. But my point is we understand the different kind of love. But in the Greek, in the original language in the New Testament, the Greek, there are four different words, actually five, four, four main words about love unconditional love that's the love that we're supposed to have for one another because Jesus came with his unconditional love in us right uh, philo uh, where, we, where we get Philadelphia the city of brotherly love eros right where we get erotic sexual love right uh, in, there's so many words that speak to this and when you read it in the original language which almost probably none of us do but you are trusting a translation so be careful about those things 
Go back and go, hey, is this translation good? And you can find all this stuff on the internet. Be careful because there's going to be some that teach you that there's only one translation that you can trust, right? And most of us have heard this controversy. And my challenge to that is the translation they're telling me that I can trust is only translated into English. So all my Chinese brothers and sisters are just, I guess they're just out there. Like you don't get a New Testament, right? And you, and you bring that up and you can tell what, what's happening is people love a translation and, I, and I'm glad you do. But translations are not perfect, right? So that's why it's helpful to, to read your scripture and read it in multiple translations. And if you can, go back and study the words so that you're going, you know what? This translation says it this way. That's a group of people who made a decision, but it's good and you can trust it 99.9% .9 of the time. But you're going to find some things that sometimes tell you because a language is being translated that you can't understand it. Now, why is that important? If you really want to get to know Scripture, learn Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. Well, learn all of Aramaic because there's a little bit of Aramaic in Scripture, right? But are you going to do that? <laughs> Probably not, right? So at some point, we have to put our trust in other people translating those languages. But if you go back and read a really good commentary of the Bible... You know what those guys did? Almost all of them, I mean really good commentaries, they went and made their own translation of the Bible. That's hard. Like that takes a lot of your life to do that, right? So don't enter into that challenge lightly. But, if, but the reason they do it is not because they don't trust other translations. They just want to make sure that when they're making a commentary, they're not making a commentary on a commentary. Does that make sense? So it's really important to get it so-called from the horse's mouth. And so when they do their translations, it's a mix of some of the best translations that are out there. So just this is a side note, but it's helpful. I love the New American Standard Bible. Why? Because, because of Scripture, it's the closest translation to the actual word-for-word uh, -word translation. There are word-for-word -word translations, there are idea translations, and then there are what we call paraphrases. I share all the time from the New Living Translation, which is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. So I'm really angry with them that they didn't name it correctly, right? Anybody know the Message Bible, the Hippie Bible? It's a, it's a paraphrase. It's one guy who said, I, like the, I, I think Scripture ought to say this. And there's some phenomenal ways that he translates or paraphrases some of Scripture that we use all the time because it gets to things that are deep into that original language. It's awesome, right? But I also know he was a guy, and he had certain leanings about certain doctrines. He grew up in a certain kind of church. And so when he goes to translate Scripture, if he's not careful, rather than listen to what the original language is actually telling him, he says what he wants to believe. And you and I do the same thing if we're not careful. The challenge isn't that we all look through a lens. The challenge is, will you be honest that you're looking through a lens? Because that, it's not going to save you from everything, but that takes away most of the challenges and the issues to say that I got saved in a Pentecostal church. So my danger is I'm going to interpret everything through that lens, right? So, so that's not helpful. If I got saved in a church that says, you know what, the, the Holy Spirit quit moving in these ways in the, in the New Testament because the church was founded and we didn't need it anymore. Says who? You or the Bible, right? Because I, I love you, and I think Jesus died for you, but he didn't die for your ignorance, okay? 
or mine. <laughs> so it's the pushback and go, I want to hear from the, from the original language as much as I can, which is why it's not enough to read the Bible. You need to study Scripture. And what you do is you find in Scripture a picture of who God is. You see his character, you see his nature, you see his patterns, you see the way he works. And the more you do that, the more clarity you get in how he wants to do that in and through you. So why is that important? Anybody ever heard of the Rosetta Stone? So I'm going to put a picture up. This is a picture of the Rosetta Stone. They found this thing in 1799 uh, during uh, the Napoleonic Wars. Um, that it was building material. It had collapsed, and it was building material, and they, had, they were using it to st- stacking rocks as a wall. I mean, it's literally how they found it. And one of the soldiers looked at it, and he goes, I think this is probably maybe important. We should stop you know, eating lunch on it or whatever, right? So they did, and then this is what it looks like when, when you see it's just a small picture of it. If y'all, y'all put that next picture up. This is just a picture of it, but, but here's what it looked like when it, the original version of it. That's what it looked like. So it was a, it was a, it's a piece of a big decree, right? And what's fascinating, there's a bunch of things fascinating about it. Go study it. It's really, really interesting. But one of the things that's fascinating is it was a decree in three different languages. So, so it was designed to, in, in the ways we do that now, you see this all the time in Canada. Canada has a law that you can't put anything just in English. You also have to put it in French. And depending on the native languages, it also has to exist in the native languages as well. Why? Because they want everybody in the land to understand the decree in their own language, right? Because if somebody's trying to translate it for you, maybe you get, maybe you get it, maybe you don't. But th- there were three different languages. The, the challenging two at the top, hieroglyphic and demotic, those were languages nobody knew, especially hieroglyphic. Some of the demotic they knew. But the bottom language was in ancient Greek, and we still understand and read ancient Greek. So from 1799, about 20 years, this process without Google, they went in and began to work on this translation, and it was incredibly difficult because the, the pictures, if you'll put the next one up, the pictures were, they, they would sometimes mean uh, concepts, sometimes they would, they would be the start of a word, and it was really, really challenging, and it just befuddled everybody for 20 years until they found the key to this language, the key to opening this up. They found in the titles of the, of the monarchs of the day. So you see this with Cleopatra and Alexander. Th- th- they would read this, and they're like, it, it was circled, almost like this is really important. You should pay attention to this, right? You ever do that in your notes? They did. It was literally circled on the Rosetta Stone, and they realized these are the names of, of the kings and, and the monarchs of the day. So all they did was just they took from that and went down and found those in ancient Greek, and then that began to translate. They began to say, okay, this A, or you know, the front side of this has to mean this, and they started working on it until it opened it up. And when they, when they discovered it, they literally transformed the world because there were hieroglyphics all over Egypt that nobody could read. They were just, you know, it's like emojis. My wife sends me stuff with emojis, and I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. Just use words, please, right? And also put the periods and the commas in there, too, because that drives me crazy when young people send me text messages, and I'm like, did you even study grammar? And the answer is no, they didn't. But this, this whole concept of the language, when it opened up, it opened up massively. And so it, it opened up understanding not just, not just the Egyptian hieroglyphics, but it opened up stories of the Bible that were connected to the Bible that nobody knew there was a connection because they didn't understand the language that had been written. Pretty big stinking deal, right? So how does that fit into what we're talking about today? If you don't understand the language of the Spirit, 
and you try to speak to him in a language that he doesn't primarily speak. Can the Holy Spirit speak your language? Of course. We're talking about tongues and interpretation, and I can tell you story after story after story of of supernatural ways, tongues and interpretation have just blown my mind. I'll just give you a couple examples. We had a friend and and lady in our church when we pastored in Tyler, Texas. Her father was the head of pathology at, at one of the major hospitals in Dallas. He was a pretty big, important man. He was also a major atheist. He was an outspoken atheist. And then his daughter lived in our town just a couple hours away. And his granddaughter lived with her as a single, single mom. His granddaughter comes and gets saved at our church, gets, gets this language, starts speaking in a language she's never learned. And so that's pretty you know, interesting to her mom. But what was really interesting to her mom is, this teenager started cleaning her room for absolutely no reason at all. So she said, I don't know what's going on here, but that has to be supernatural. So she came, true story, she came and checked that out. She ended up coming to know Jesus, gave her life to Christ, and then was baptized in the Spirit. We talked about that where she receives this prayer language. and she's blo- Now she comes from a full-blown line of atheists. There was no opportunity to believe in God. But then when she discovered that maybe God was real, and then it turns out he was, that opened up something for her that said, you know, what else has my dad been lying to me about? Right? I love my dad, but maybe he misunderstood. I don't know. But so she receives this gift. She starts praying in an unknown language. She said she was very smart. She said it freaked her brain out every time it happened. And she said she was just so intrigued. And she said, I just, I'm blown away. She goes to a choral recital with her daughter, where her daughter's singing in a big, you know, presentation. And they're singing a song in Latin. So they give them out this Latin version of it. And they also give them the English version. You guessed it. When they start singing, she hears the words that she prays when she's praying in tongues. And she looks down. And the translation, it turns out the song is about Jesus and and the captain of the host and his victory over sin. And it's all biblical passages, but it's all warrior words, which I thought was really interesting. All of them were. And that was the language she spoke when she spoke in tongues. So here's what's really fascinating. She, she goes, do I, how do I tell my dad this? I'm like, what do you mean? How, let me do it. I'll go tell him. Like, d- d- is it true or not? She's like, of course it's true. I said, so tell him and watch what happens. So she tells her dad. He's instantly angry. gets really, really angry. And then she tells him the story about, but it's in Latin. Guess what her dad as a pathologist studied? Latin. I wonder if there's, that's a coincidence, isn't it? It's just random. He could have gave her Aramaic, but he didn't, right? Why? Because the Holy Spirit's like, I'm after this guy who says he doesn't even believe me. So not only does he not even, he doesn't believe I have a language, he doesn't even believe I exist to have a language. And God's like, I don't have a problem with that. I'll speak his language. See how that works? It's so powerful. So I want to I spend the rest of our time, we just got a couple more minutes, um, in this, the passage in 1 Corinthians, because it really paints the picture. So I'm going to read it all. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's important. And I'm going to make a few comments on it. We're going to be done. So this is 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Go and study it. We're looking into this as we do our gifts of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, series. It says, however it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. That's pretty clear, right? The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us. How? Let's go back. Not with your eyes. <laughs> uh, not with your ears. And not with your brain. So God has prepared some things for the people he loves. And, and they're not just in human 
understanding. So he goes on, he says, these things God's prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us, how? By his spirit. In a spirit language that he speaks and he wants us to learn how to speak. He goes on and he says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit uh, within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You want to learn who God thinks you are and what you ought to believe? Learn how to hear His language. Some of that is, is written in Scripture, and we get that, but you can study the Bible as a literary document and never see God in the entire thing, which amazes me that you can do that. But you have to, you have to try really, really hard to do that, right? You have to not want to believe that he speaks. Goes on, he says, what we received is not the spirit of the world. So there is a spirit that the world is connected to. We're not gonna get into that today, but it's true. Um, He says, um, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So he's saying ears and eyes and minds have not perceived some things that God wants to speak to you about, right? He wants to reveal it to you supernaturally. We're going to get in that in just a second. And so that doesn't mean against nature. It just means above it, right? He goes on. He says, this is how it works. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom. Now, the guy who's writing this had more human wisdom than any other writer probably in the entire New Testament. Paul is, when people study who Paul was, they recognize a brilliance in this man's mind that they say is hard to capture in anybody else in all of history. Right? This is just how they speak of this man and his brilliance. He was incredibly educated, but he was brilliant. Peter, Peter even said, there's some stuff that Paul writes that's hard to understand. Like literally, he says that about the writings of Paul. He goes on, he says, what we receive is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is who, who is from God. Why? So that we may understand what he's, God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us, again, by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. You're going to have to learn a new language. He goes on, he says, the person without the Spirit. So you can be a person without the Spirit, right? He says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. So it's not that he doesn't hear them, but he's just like, it's just mumbo-jumbo to him. It's like, I, I, that doesn't fit within the confines of my mind. So we just dismiss it. And, and, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But he goes on, he says, um, the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness and cannot understand them. Why? Because they are discerned or understood only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, so there's the person without the Spirit, can't understand the things of the Spirit, but the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. He's making, he's making us, trying to get us to understand that the language of the Spirit is supernatural. So let me help you with this, because I didn't like this when I first started thinking this through, because I'm not real smart, but, but I'm a thinker, right? So I get my, I mean, I'm very skeptical about this stuff. And so when I begin to study this, I'm like, it feels like it's against nature. It feels off, because it doesn't fit in the confines of my mind. And when I understood that the word super means above, all that means is there is nature, right? Here's the box called naturalism, which means that you don't prescribe to anything that isn't natural, so your, understand, your worldview is inside this box, and you cannot think outside the box 
at all. You can't do it, right? So what happens is the Bible says God comes along, and, and it turns out that everything that's inside the box is also inside of God, and he's a bigger box. He's, he's not a box. <laughs> I should probably just define that right now. We, we keep talking about, I want to think outside the box. It's like, well, that's awesome, but how far outside? Are you going to limit yourself, right, to your Pentecostal upbringing or your Baptist or whatever, your cessationist? Is that what you're going to do? So maybe you're a little bit outside of the, of the box that everybody else is in, but only slightly outside the box. And if you want to learn the language of the Spirit, you have to understand that first it is supernatural. It's above natural. So again, I told you the story about the lady who spoke in tongues and it was Latin. That's tough, right? And, and you're thinking there, if you've never experienced this, you're like, Dave just made that up in his head. He got it off the internet, whatever. Okay, so let me just give you another example. My wife, who's sitting right over here, come talk to her if you want to. <clears throat> she's, well, if you make eye contact, you're gonna talk to her because she's the most friendliest person you've ever met. So she gave a message in tongues. This has been uh, a couple years back. In that message in tongues, she shared a, a prayer language. She prayed out loud in a language that she had never physically learned. It had been revealed or dropped into her spirit. She feels this, that God wants to communicate to the body through this gift that the Holy Spirit's given. So we make room for that. She speaks out this, this tongue, which is just an archaic word for language. She speaks out this language she's never learned personally. And, and it's Ta-da, there it is. Now it's out here, right? And so we operate in the fivefold ministry gifts and also the gift of administration. And we bring, we, we come up and we say, hey guys, this is what the Bible talks about, about tongues and interpretation. So now what we're gonna do is just gonna make some room so that the interpretation of that tongue can come. So half the people that were there that morning were like, I don't know about any of this stuff, but he, you know, they seem like they have it in a good order. So that's good. So it, it kind of made them, put them at ease. And then the, the, the interpretation was, we had a missionary from Bosnia who comes up and he says, some of that, that language was Bosnian. And here are the words. And he said them and it was comforting and edifying and ministered to us as a body. And there was a lady there also who was studying um, the uh, uh, Canterbury Tales in Old English with her daughters in, in school. And she'd just been reading this. And she goes, there, she goes, I looked it up. These are words that, she, that Karen said who... I'm not even sure she's ever read the Canterbury Tales, but definitely not in Old English, right? She said, these are Old English words, and this is what they mean, and it edified and exhorted, and it did exactly what tongues interpretation is supposed to do. So we walk away from that. You have to make a decision. <laughs> are you going to think inside the box that says naturalism means there cannot be supernatural? There's only natural, which means you have to figure out in your human wisdom some way that Karen manipulated that with our church on that day. Or God was talking. You got two options. You know what, here's what the Bible says. You know, what the, you know what the person who doesn't have the Spirit says? Foolishness. Mockery. It's, it's ridiculous. They're making that stuff up. G Google it. Go on YouTube and type in tongues and interpretation and watch some videos. And then quit because it'll just make you angry or it'll lead you astray. Because <laughs> there's so few people who've learned the language of the Spirit. So how do you do it? Again, the language isn't, it's, it, the Holy Spirit is God. So the language he has and he wants to give is not going to violate the nature and the character of the God who's been revealed in Scripture. Of the God who's been revealed through the Son, through Jesus. He's not going to be a different God. 
But if he is God, he's going to speak the same language, and he's going to communicate to you in supernatural ways. And it does something. This is what Paul said. When I came to you, he's talking about the Corinthian church. Because the last church he'd preached in, he'd preached an incredible message, and a lot of it was the brilliance of his mind. And he gets to the end, and he talks about Jesus being raised from the dead. So say they were all listening inside the natural box. The second he mentions Jesus coming outside the natural, you know, the box... And being raised from the dead, the supernatural, the Bible said they scoffed at him. Some of them heard and listened, said, we'll hear you again. But most of them panicked and ran away. This is in Athens. He comes to Corinth, the city, and he says, when I came to you, I had learned something. Go read this in the book of Acts. It's powerful. He said, I came to you when I came. I decided, I recognized I'd done some things that I can grow in. And I decided I'm not going to come to you with just words. He said, I'm going to come to you with the power of the Holy Spirit, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, why? Anybody remember? So that your faith won't be in the wisdom of men, but it'll be in the power of God. So let me just, as I close, let me translate this. When Jesus, he's, he's healing people left and right. The Pharisees are having a problem with it because Jesus is not doing church the way they want him to. So he's making a mess. And he, he's praying for this one guy. And they said, how dare you say these things like you're acting like you're God. And so they just start accusing him left and right. And this is what he says. So that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now, now, first of all, let's back up. If you preach the gospel that the Son of God, that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins, and there's no demonstration of power, guess what box we've left that in? It's just another philosophy. It's just another form of wisdom. It's just one of the five major religions, and all religions are the same after all, right? No, Christianity is the only religion with a Savior. Go look that one up on Google. That one's fun, right? Why? Because you can't do it yourself. The picture is not that God's angry with you and he wants to get rid of you. The picture is from the beginning, there was a, a, something that happened. He knew you were going to sin. And by sinning, you would, you would disconnect from your heavenly father. No longer understanding that there's a supernatural connection. So you would disconnect because of your sin, because your sin can't come into the presence of God. Then Jesus comes, it's prophesied of him. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going I'm to be of the perfect sacrifice, like all the symbolism and the pictures of the lambs that have died before me. But this is going to be the lamb of God. This is going to be God in man form. And he's going to come down, and he's going to live perfectly, and then he's going to lay his life down as a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is going to be enough because the Bible says when he died, the Bible says before he died, he had taken on the sin of mankind, and then he gave up his life his life. No man could take it from him. This is what he said over and over and over again. He said, the Bible says, he gave up his life as a sacrifice, and we know the sacrifice was greater than the sin. Why? Because he was still alive when he took all the sin of mankind upon him, and then he laid his life down. And something happened across the way, the veil, we talked about this in the last series, the veil was ripped from the top to bottom, signifying that God was coming down to man and all that stuff behind the Holy of Holies that nobody could go because of their sin was now opened up because the Bible talks about in Hebrews, Jesus was the veil, he was ripped, and because of that, you and I now have access to the Father. He's available. But if in your brain, your Christianity it's just a bunch of rules and regulations really stuck in the Old Testament. And you've never understood the language of the Spirit is supernatural. God's version of that, he's going to talk to you about things that you have to choose to believe or not believe. If you believe it and you say, Lord, I want to entertain that. You can be skeptical. God's not afraid of that. 
Jesus said, this is how he did it. And this is what the church needs to learn and grow in so that we can reach people. And for, for his namesake, we have to do what Jesus did in the sense that we don't just tell a story. We do that. But we say, so that you might know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He turns to the sick person and heals them. So what did he do? He demonstrated the kingdom. And if we're going to see that happen, the only way that's going to happen is by his spirit, because this is how Jesus is choosing to work. This is how the Father is choosing to work. This is how the Holy Spirit is choosing to work. That's why we're doing these ministry, uh, these, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's why we're doing this. Not so you can mentally assent to it. It's why we're preaching in it. But not so you can mentally assent, but so that you can walk in the power of God. Right? So let me finish with this passage. This is... Uh, find it. This is uh, Romans. This is Romans 8, 11. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but Jesus talks about us. Before we're born again, we are dead in our trespasses. Go back and look at that. It's in Ephesians, a couple other places. But in Romans 8, 11, this is what it says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, the spirit, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you? The first thing that has to happen if you're going to hear the voice of God is you're going to have to let your spirit come alive because, because of your sin, you are dead in your trespasses. And what God wants to do is say, I've paid the price. I've done it all. No longer is your sin held against you. Now you have to make a choice. Will I receive that gift that is Jesus? Lord, I submit to you, what's the prayer look like? It's not an incantation. It's not magical. It's knowing who Jesus is, what he did, believe, did, do you believe he raised from the dead? Because it's a supernatural thing. And that's the only way you're going to make the jump into coming alive in God is to believe what Jesus said was true and what he did was true. And if you believe that and you receive that, something happens in you. The Bible says you get a new nature, you get a new heart, and your spirit comes alive. Now, I didn't mention this, but, but there's another place where the Bible talks about when the ministry of the Holy Spirit is happening in a meeting. It says, if someone who is unlearned or an unbeliever comes in, you change what you're doing in the way the Spirit works. Why? Because a natural man just walked in the room. So when we do this on a Sunday morning, there's a good chance people here are either un unbelievers, they don't know Jesus, have not come alive in their spirit, or they came alive in their spirit, but now don't understand the language of the Holy Spirit or operate in his ministry at all so they're unlearned, which means they have, not that they're not alive in their spirit, but they don't know. And so my question for you this morning is, which one are you? Are you an unbeliever who's never put your faith in Christ, right? Because you, you struggle with him being born again. I mean, being uh, raised from the dead. And so if you struggle with that, what are you going to do with the claims of Jesus? Are you just going to go, well, I, that's probably, I'll probably be okay. I hope I'm going to be okay. Are you really going to look into who Jesus says he is and who he says you are? And by that, come to salvation. And then secondly, are you unlearned? Are you in a place where you say, I, if you're asking me if I'm a believer, of course I am. I love Jesus. He loves me. And my, my question to you is, are you going to let crazy Uncle Larry out of the, out of the basement? And if that's how you perceive them, you won't. But if you perceive him as God, as his great love for you is equal to who Jesus 
what Jesus paid the price for you, equal to the Father's love for you, will you say, Holy Spirit, I don't understand you completely, but I want to learn more about you. The good news is, in Scripture, there, there, there are guardrails for how the Holy Spirit, that's why we're studying the gifts of the Spirit right now, because the first Corinthian church was doing the gifts wrong. Paul writes to them, says, this is the wrong way, here's the right way to do it. So we want to become learned. But in order to do that, you have to come alive in Jesus. You're going to have to wake your spirit up. And the way you do that is believe that what he said was true about himself. So I want to take just a minute before we, before we close, and I, I, I appreciate where we are. Some of you guys are like, I'm hungry, it's time to go. <laughs> My challenge to you are, are you hungry for the things of the spirit? What we're going to do is just, we're going to take a minute and we're going to wait. I, I, I didn't do this last time because I was so intent on preaching my message and getting mental assent that I didn't think about activation. And I want to correct that. So it doesn't mean anything's going to happen. Maybe nothing happens. We just wait for a few minutes and nothing happens. But what we're going to do is we're going to create a little bit of room for the Holy Spirit to move. And when he does that, often what he does is through words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, tongues and interpretation, uh, discerning of spirits. I mean, all the gifts in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, you can go read about them. So what we want to do before we go to lunch is just take a minute and wait on the Lord and see if that is available to us today. The Bible says it's severally as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. In other words, when he does it, he's the one who moves people to do things. Not, you can't, don't just do it yourself. Don't just make stuff up. That's super not helpful. That's part of the problem we're trying to fix. But let's wait on the Lord, create room for his spirit to, to, to speak, to talk, to demonstrate, to do something. And then from that, if he does something, we'll step in, into that and, and move forward on it. And if not, I'll dismiss you and you can have a wonderful lunch. <laughs> but we just want to take a minute and just wait on the Lord. Is everybody cool with that? Anybody nervous? <laughs> Good. So, Lord, we just come right now. We just want to take a couple of minutes. And, Lord, we want to wait on you. We want to give room for you to move in our midst. Lord, we don't want to make things up. Dear Lord, we, we are so sick of that. All the junk that's done in the name of God but isn't you. Lord, we don't want that. We want to be authentic and real. We, we, you said we'd be known for the quality of our ministry, which means we're going to get it right. And so, Lord, we lean into that right now. And we just say, Lord, we're open to hear and to do and, and move in the way that you want. And so we just want to give you room right now. So let's just take a couple of minutes and just... Just sit in, in silence for a minute and see what the Lord does. Is gonna, um, she, she feels like she got a message in tongues. So we're just going to wait a second, like we talked about before. I'll give a little bit of administrative uh, connection around this, but we're just going to give opportunity for that.
And the Bible talks about when that happens, you see this in the New Covenant, Paul teaching this, is we make room for the interpretation of tongues, which is another gift. So there are tons of people in here who walk in that gift. So what we're going to do is create space again to just wait on what that looks like. And as, as elders in our church, you have several people who are elders overseeing the church. The Bible says these, these people have been appointed to work with the Holy Spirit to administrate what he's doing. So you're safe. <laughs> if this all turns out to be a bunch of, you know, craziness, we'll, we'll tell you that. We may have to process it and tell you next Sunday, <laughs> unless it's super obvious, but we'll tell you. But in the meantime, we're just going to create some space and let God finish what he was saying. <laughs> so let's just take that time now. So in many ways, we're learning the language of the Holy Spirit. So let me just help some, maybe somebody who's feeling something right now. You're like, I feel like I'm supposed to say something out loud. I feel like maybe this unction in my chest is like, ah, I can feel the presence of God. But I'm a little bit afraid that it might be wrong. The good news about grace and the kindness and the goodness of God and, and a church that embraces a culture of grace is that there's plenty of room for growing and learning. So this is a little bit strange, I know that, because we, you know, normally this happens during our worship time, and I get that, but I, I would have been remiss if I'd not preach into it and say, Lord, I'm talking about you demonstrating yourself, I'd really like to give you option to do that. So sometimes what the Lord will do, he doesn't do it the way we would like. I would really like for him to use one of our elders to do that, because I can trust it and I know them, I love that. But he may be wanting to do that through some of you, where this is very new to you. So if that's the case, and you're like, you know, I don't, it's not as long as that. Remember, it's an interpretation, not a translation. So it may be something simple. And then the Bible talks about prophesying or ministering in the Spirit um, according to your faith. So if you have faith to say those few words, and that's all you can say, then say that. And if, and if you don't do it, and you miss it, and you're like, man, I should have done that this morning, and I missed it, come talk to me. One, we're not going to beat you up, and it's totally okay, because this is a process, not an event. Amen? But we're going to take one more minute and just, if, that was, if that's you, if you're new to this, but you feel like God's doing it, would you take a step of faith and just say what you sense the Lord is saying? And then we'll, again, we'll administrate it. You don't have to worry about that. We'll make sure it's biblical and all those things. We'll do all that. We'll, we'll, we got you covered. But we just want to give you space to do that. So let's take one more minute before we close and just give you opportunity to do that.
Yeah, Lord, we just receive that. Lord, that is so in line with who you are, your character, and your nature. And Lord, it's so timely. And I was sensing those things too. So Lord, we just say as a church, we receive that. Holy Spirit, thank you. Move among us, Lord. Our passion, our love is to see you demonstrated in people's lives, Lord. Do the supernatural things. Lord, help us not get so enamored with the thing you do that we forget about why you're doing it and you're doing it because you love people and you want to minister and bless them, Lord. Would you cause us, Lord, to come to you and see you accurately? Lord, we long to do that. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves. We come underneath, Lord, your leadership and say, Holy Spirit, lead us, teach us, guide us. You said you do all those things because we want to walk in your power and the demonstration of who you are to show Jesus to a dying and a hurting world. Lord, we love you for that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you need ministry this morning, we would love to pray for you. If that resonated with you and you want to receive prayer about any of that, we'd love to pray for you. Our team will be up here to pray for you. If you have questions about what I taught and what happened, I'll be hanging around for a while. Our elders will too. Come and talk to us. Ask us questions. We don't know everything, but we'll point you back to Scripture. That's our passion for you. But if you need prayer and ministry, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and come back next week. It's going to get even crazier. (laughs) 